Hi, this is Staff Sergeant Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th ESC. And on today's episode of the Every Soldier Counts podcast, we talk with the command team from U.S. Army Material Support Command Korea, Colonel Christopher No and Sergeant Major David Caleb. Uh, we have a great conversation with them, ranging from their interesting military backgrounds to the complex and wide-ranging mission of MSCK here in Korea. And we go, we also talk about the Army putting people first and leadership challenges related to that. So stay tuned. The Every Soldier Counts podcast is up next. Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the lines. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome again to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. We are here on episode three of our podcast, and joining us in studio today, we are pleased to welcome the command team of U.S. Army Material Support Command Korea. With us today, we have Colonel Christopher No and Sergeant Major David Caleb. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us here in studio. Thanks. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we like to, uh, when we welcome guests here, we like to kind of get to know them first. Um, so, sir, um, how long have you been stationed in Korea? Uh, it feels like forever. Uh, I've actually, uh, uh, this time, I'm almost on three years. Uh, so, uh, but I'll have six out of the last seven uh, when I depart this summer. So, uh, starting back in 2014 uh, through 2017, and then uh, literally left for exactly 365 days. Uh, I, I think they thought I was part of a uh, CONUS accompanied short tour pilot program or something because I did not get very much time back in the States, but, uh, happy to be back in, uh, sunny Daegu in the beautiful Republic of Korea though. Excellent. Okay. Sergeant Major, how about you? I actually got here in July of 2020, so I'm entering my seventh month. Uh, I was formerly with the Korean Service Corps Battalion as the Sergeant Major and I loved it so much that I decided to stay here and do uh, FSTE, Foreign Tour Service Extension. And I will be a part of the 19th ESC command team or staff as the G1 Sergeant Major come June or July. Yeah, he did so well as the KSC Sergeant Major that uh, his hard work uh, meant more hard work. So I fleeted him up to be the uh, brigade sergeant major for his last uh, five months in the brigade to to come uh, influence and uh, use his great non-commissioned officer uh, capabilities up at the brigade level. So we're happy to have him on the team. It's definitely a privilege to serve as a battalion and now a brigade level sergeant major. And let's, let's rewind things back a little further, Sergeant Major. What can you tell me about uh, what made you join the Army and what, is it, what your first MOS was? So why I decided to serve, it's because of my airborne buddy, which is my father. He's a Vietnam vet, and he was a mess sergeant. And that's all he talked about was, you know, jumping out of airplanes. And he had three boys and a young daughter. And um, that's all we knew. We wanted to be a part of that. And like um, the Soldier for Life program says, that the Army or military service is a family business. So we followed his footsteps. Um, my two older brothers are retired, and I'm still, the, I'm still serving, serving strong. Very proud of that. And funny story. His three boys are airborne qualified, and even my younger sister, she didn't join the military service, but she is a flight attendant. So oh, really? fair. all of us have our wings. So <laughs> it rubbed off. Outstanding. So did your your father was a mess sergeant, and so what did you come in as? What 
So I came in as a 71 Lima clerk typist. So I may be dating myself, but with the consolidation of MOSs, I eventually transferred over to a 42 Alpha human resource specialist. And I've been doing this for over 25 years active and 28 years total. Do you remember what your fastest typing speed was? Uh, yeah, we don't even want, it's probably about the same, actually. So I survived AIT, made it, qualified, and, you know. And, Sarah, I know you come from a military background, too, but your family was, was not Army, is that right? That's true, but I, I, I want to pull this thread about typing for a second because <laughs> uh, I, I think we're, we owe you an answer, and I, we're going to have to secretly record Sergeant Major Caleb uh, typing in his office so we know what the truth is. This is a, a deeply held secret, apparently. Yeah. Uh, we're, I think we're on to something here. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess it was like 37 words per minute or something like that. But uh, I use technology to its full advantage. So this is a, what do you call it, a hack, potentially. I used it in college that I would just take out my iPad, my phone, and turn on the mic and start talking and write my papers this way and or messages this way and then put it in a Word document, edit, add my references. So time and efficiency, I believe it was. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I think you get credit for that from a, uh, from a uh, typing words per minute uh, perspective. <laughs> but that, yeah, so anyone who's going back to school, that's Sergeant Major Caleb's uh, hack for you to <laughs> maximize your time. So, sir, yeah, your, your, your military um, origin story? Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird that I ended up here, in, you know, 25 years later in the Army. And uh, I was a, a Navy brat, or am a Navy brat. Uh, my father served for 34 years in the Navy. Uh, also uh, a logistician. He was a uh, Supply Corps officer. Uh, and before that, he was a yeoman in the Navy, uh, which is the same in the, in the, as in the uh, Army's 42 Alphas or clerk typist, so he very similar to what Sar Major did. Uh, I had intended to try to go to uh, the United States Naval Academy. Uh, I have a, my family's a, a long naval history. My grandfather uh, was a uh, cook in 1941 standing uh, at Pearl Harbor on December 7th on the USS Sacramento, so... Uh, I grew up learning about what occurred there, and I learned, uh, you know, anything I could learn about the Navy I wanted to know. I grew up around uh, Navy bases and ships and spent time on my dad's ships and was had fallen in love with the Navy, and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but uh, I wasn't exactly the best student uh, in high school, and my grades weren't really great. So I got an alternate uh, appointment, I think, through a senator to – the Air Force Academy, way out in Colorado. We lived in Virginia at the time, way out in Colorado, and I just wasn't interested in that. Uh, it, it, you know, was too far away from home, didn't want to do that. And so I'm, I'm walking through my high school uh, as a senior in high school, and my principal comes up to me, who my dad and him knew each other, and he, it's always a little terrifying as a student when, the, when your principal comes and walks up to you, and he says, hey, Chris, I've heard about your issue with what's going on at the Naval Academy, and I'm looking at him, uh-oh, what did I do? And he said, I think you'd make a great VMI cadet, Virginia Military Institute, and uh, I've taken the liberty of putting you on a group of prospective cadets I'm taking up there uh, here in a couple months. And I just looked at him dumbfounded and said, I've never even really considered that place. I knew about him in the news because there was a, a pretty famous court case going on at that time. I'll let you look it up, 1991-ish. Uh, that's the homework for the listeners. Uh, but that's about all I knew. Uh, so I decided to go to VMI, uh, and I ended up there, was uh, Navy ROTC, uh, seeking a commission but again, there, my grades weren't great either. Uh, and I got to a point about my middle of my sophomore year where they said, you're likely not to get a commission. This is during the drawdown in the mid-90s, uh, so it was really hard to get a commission. And so I, I, I kind of had a crisis of, per, you know, of who I am, a crisis of uh, my identity, because I'd always thought about serving my nation. I'd always thought, I mean, I grew up, uh, my mother had that John F. Kennedy, ask not what your, you know, your country can do for you uh, statement from his inauguration in 
uh, on the wall in our house. And uh, so service was very important to me. And so I started to have a, what am I going to do? What am I going to do when I grow up? Uh, and my buddy had just joined the Army National Guard in Virginia. Uh, so I said, hey, that's good. I need money for college. I need, you know, I need money uh, and I need something to do and I want to join join and serve my nation. So I went off to basic training, uh, 11 Bravo infantrymen, uh, sweat to death at Fort Benning, and I absolutely fell in love with the way the Army worked. Uh, and frankly, for some of the things I didn't like about the Navy, I never liked the complete separation of the officer and the enlisted personnel uh, in the Navy. Uh, and, you know, the idea of potentially of being on a ship for six months at a time didn't greatly appeal to me either. Uh, and I have to admit there was a girl involved. Uh, it worked out. I'm married to her now. So, uh, and ultimately I came back to school and the Navy, strangely enough, offered me a, uh, a contract to commission. And I said, uh, Hey army, what can you offer me? And they said, well, we can give you a scholarship, uh, and gave me a scholarship to, uh, continue the last two years of uh, school. Not a big one, but enough to get me through uh, the remainder of college. And I, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I joined the Army and uh, have never looked back and, and have loved uh, how the Army works and functions. And I, I've always liked the idea that, you know, for all of us, you know, sitting here in the room, if we're out in the field, uh, the rain doesn't care what rank we are. The rain, does, you know, the MRE we're eating doesn't care what rank we are. We all eat the same food. We all deal with the same level of suck out in the field. And uh, that appealed to me uh, as a young man. So you're, you're the one that got away from the Navy. I am. It makes Army-Navy uh, week uh, very, very interesting uh, around the house uh, in my family. Uh, and, I, and I graduated from the Navy War College, so... Uh, that's even more confusing now because I've kind of got a tie to the Navy. But, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the one who escaped the Navy. Okay, well, two, two very interesting stories about uh, what led you to the military. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with a little uh, change. We're going to change up, change things up when we come back. Um, stay tuned. This is First Lieutenant James Rainey with the 19th ESC Surgeon Cell. Remember to continue following the core tenants. Protect yourself by staying ready and resilient. Have a proper work and life balance. Protect your bubble by minding the meter and mask at the ready. Avoid large groups and crowds. Protect others. Feeling sickly? Leave quickly. Call the USFK COVID hotline if you feel any symptoms. This number is 050 3337 2556. Welcome back to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. As promised, we are going to switch things up a little now for our guests who are Colonel Christopher No and Sergeant Major David Caleb from MSCK. Yes, it's time for the lightning round. So, gentlemen, we're going to have uh, the questions and answers are going to come quick now and uh we're going to start with you sir major okay what is the most famous non-military person you've met non-military person i have met there's a lot but the only one that comes to mind right now is daryl strawberry because i'm new york uh men's okay yeah sir how about you wow yeah i think we were talking about it before the before the podcast i had the chance to meet uh like everyone in nascar and 2006 so jimmy johnson the year that he uh won his first championship uh i got to meet him right before he raced wow okay um staying with you sir we, we talked about this a little bit off air too what is some unexpected music we would find on your uh workout playlist i think that uh you would be surprised to find uh hip-hop on my uh workout playlist uh in in a wider wide uh, variety of it from Stuff way back in the 80s to uh, even uh, Christian hip-hop, you know, out of Houston, Texas. I mean, it's very obscure, but uh, things people wouldn't find, uh, you know, expect to find on my uh, my playlist. Okay, Sergeant Major, same question. So, I am from Wyoming, so there's some country on there. There is Top 40, and I love Blink-182. 
I had the chance to see them in 2020, 2019 with Little Wayne. How was that collaboration? Right? Wow. Yeah. Virginia brings it. Um, and then, of course, hip-hop, R&B. I got it all. Okay, I think you may have spoiled this next question okay. that's saying you're from Wyoming. But so mountains or beach for, for your, like, vacation? So I'm going to jump to retirement. So I said I was going to retire someplace warm. But as I started to narrow it down, I found myself, I'm going to retire someplace hot. So it's either going to be Arizona or Nevada. That's where I want to be. I had enough snow. Um, yeah. Okay, sir, same question. Without a doubt, the beach. Okay. Um, so saying with you, sir, what's something you did as a young soldier that if you told it to a, a, sol a, a young soldier today, they would be flabbergasted, wouldn't understand what you're talking about? Oh, <laughs> uh, if you if you go back to things like Iraq in 2003, sitting in a vehicle in a Humvee with, you know, instead of having up armor, we had sandbags on the floor. We had no doors on the Humvee. Uh, I used to laughingly say we'd sit sideways and, and sit facing where the ID was going to hit us, you know, to, so we we were squared up to it. Uh, but it, it just... I, I, I've talked to soldiers about this and, you know, what the experience was like with a, a non-up-armored vehicle driving around in Baghdad. And the, the look that I get is just like, that can't be real. It's just got to be totally made up. How about you, Sergeant Major? That's pretty tough. So I was a young E-5, 18th Airborne Corps, working in the Corps G-2, new E-5. And I fell for a sergeant major's joke or prank, whatever you want to call it. He was like, hey, Sergeant Caleb, we need you in the comms room. And it happened to be General King doing a death side brief to, um, uh, what is it, the, I think, force com, CG. Here I am, open the door, saying, how can I help? And then these two general officers are looking at me, and I'm like, yeah. And then I go back, and the gentleman, the sergeant major, is laughing at me. So couldn't live that down. <laughs> but funny story to that, I ended up working for General Keene when he was the vice chief of staff of the Army. It's General Jack Keene. Yeah. Okay. Yep. See him on TV sometimes still. Um, okay, staying with you, Sergeant Major, you, you experienced uh, some traffic this morning. We talked about that a little bit getting down here. Uh, where do you, In your career, where is the worst traffic you've ever experienced in all your travels? So it would be Virginia, but California is horrible also. Um, I used to go there a lot for TDY with the Soldier for Life program. So, How about you, sir? I, without a doubt, Korea is the worst, but uh, I, likewise, uh, growing up, in the Navy, we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the traffic there is absolutely horrendous, uh, even worse than uh, than what's been here in Korea. And uh, staying with you, sir, last question. Um, your MSCK deals with a lot of maintenance vehicles, fixing them. What's your favorite Army vehicle throughout your career? So I would have to say... Probably the MATV. I mean, I just, it, being in uh, in Afghanistan, I just thought it was awesome to see, you know, how they brought all this together, and it's just cool looking, and then, you know, just was armored as all get out, little little scary looking. The, the coolest vehicle I think we have now in MSCK, and a lot of people don't know this, we actually own our own locomotive. Oh, really? Uh, it's on Camp Carroll. Uh, they will not let me drive it. Uh, I've keep explaining to them that I'm the brigade commander and you should let me drive it, but they, alas, they, they keep pushing back and not letting me actually drive the uh, the awesome uh, locomotive that we own. Wow. Yeah, I think the, 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 the MOS for that is mostly reserves. Like, there are still, like, locomotive, like, train rail soldiers. They, so. Absolutely. They're all, uh, they're all uh, reservists. Uh, I forget where they're, where they're stationed, but they're, uh, they train them all at uh, Fort Eustis, Virginia. They've still got quite a bit of uh, rail line there that they train. 
the young soldiers there to to operate rail cars. And a lot of people don't realize that that the Army operates those. Our our rail car uh, at Camp Carroll is actually operated by our great uh, Korean National employees. Uh, out of our director for supply and transportation. We're going to be talking about that a lot, uh, a little bit later in the podcast. So, Sergeant Major, last question then, uh, favorite Army vehicle? So, I'm really liking the brand new vehicle that uh, Oshkosh makes. Um, JLTV. JLTV. That is one dynamite-looking military vehicle. I thought you were going to say, like, the Gamma Goat or something. Yeah. That. <laughs> What is that? You don't know what a gamma goat is? No, please. That, so that's something that we could probably explain to our soldiers that they, they wouldn't, you know, have ever heard of. All right. Well, with, with that, well, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back and talk about all the interesting things that MSCK does here on the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Hi, this is our first class, Sam Martinez, 19th ESC, SHARP program, NCOIC, and Area 4's lead SART. Every member of the Army family deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Even one incident of sexual harassment or sexual assault is one too many. Don't be a bystander and watch something happen. Recognize it and intervene by condemning acts of sexual misconduct. Don't tolerate obscene gestures, language, or behavior anywhere or at any time. Sexual harassment and sexual assault inflicts unimaginable pain on its victims. It directly and negatively impacts our ability to complete our mission here in Korea. If you need information about how to prevent sexual harassment and sexual assault, you can contact me at DSN 763-4067 or via cell phone at 010-6365-6953 on our 19th ESC Sharp Facebook page or on the 19th ESC website. Always remember... Every soldier counts. And we're back here on the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast with the command team from U.S. Army Material Support Command, Korea. And, sir, if you had to explain MSCK to a a civilian family member or someone who wasn't familiar with it, how would you describe MSCK to them? Well, I... I describe it in the same way I describe it to the people on the peninsula because a lot of people even on the peninsula don't understand uh, what MSCK is or they think it's one piece of, of many, many things that we do. So Material Support Command Korea uh, is a really, really large, it's actually the largest brigade on the pen. Uh, we've got more than 4,000 people uh, that really provide the backbone of sustainment to the peninsula. Uh, so there's a lot of sustainment capability on the peninsula, but then uh, there are capabilities that we have uh, that literally no one else in the Army has. So to kind of break it down, uh, the brigade uh, is, now I'll give you the people construct first. So it's about 3,000 uh, Korean nationals and Korean service corps members. About 1,000 of those are Korean national, uh, just over 2,000 Korean service corps members. Uh, but then... Uh, 1,500-ish soldiers uh, that perform a a wide variety of tasks uh, across the sustainment spectrum. So uh, I'll start with the tactical side because it's really our our newest piece. So we have four battalions. We have the 498th Combat Sustainment Support Battalion. It's probably our most complex battalion because it's, it's made up of so many different types of organizations, anywhere from field feeding companies. You eat in a dining facility on the Korean Peninsula, uh, there's a MSCK soldier, 541st Field Feeding Company, that's that's likely uh, you're interacting with. And you may not even know that's a soldier that belongs to the brigade, uh, amongst many uh, other soldiers that work in those defects. Uh, they have finance capabilities. So all your finance uh, challenges you may have, uh, if you owe the Army money, unfortunately, or uh, you have to go see finance about a pay irregularity. That's a soldier from MSCK from the 176 uh, Financial Management Support Unit that's there. Uh, we have a large, a couple large truck companies, inland cargo transfer company. Uh, we have a quartermaster company that does uh, fueling operations and water operations and, and actually can purify water. Uh, and that's just, we're on the 1st Battalion, right? It's pretty, pretty robust capability. Uh, in that uh, just that one battalion. And then there's the 25th Movement Control Battalion. It's a transportation battalion. 
uh, and it's probably our most homogenous uh, aid in the ordinance battalion. I'm going to talk about our most homogenous uh, organizations uh, because you know there are movement control battalions throughout the army, uh, and they all look very similar to what the 25th Movement Control Battalion looks like. The difference here, though, is that uh, our movement control teams and then the headquarters actually have a uh, a great group of uh, highly professional subject matter expert Korean nationals, who've, many of whom have worked with the U.S. Uh, Rock U.S. Alliance for decades uh, and understand how um, Rock tr- uh, Transportation Command, Rock Transcom works, how, ro- how co-rail works. Uh, and so if you move something on the peninsula, if you have a convoy that you conduct, if you have HETs, uh, heavy equipment transports that move uh, tanks, uh, or you move something by rail, I can guarantee you that the 25th MCB has touched it. Uh, and we'll talk later, I think, about the uh, Joint Personnel Process Center, Processing Center up at Incheon Airport or Osan. So if you came into the theater through the gateway, you, you likely touched the 25th uh, movement control, I'd say virtually because of COVID, so you didn't touch them. Uh, you probably fist bumped a uh, young 25th movement control battalion soldier uh, that's uh, conducting gateway operations. So they, they have their fingers in everything uh, throughout the pen. They integrate well with the Rock Army uh, because, you know, this is a sovereign nation uh, and movement control is controlled by the, the, the Korean government. So we have to integrate into that uh, very closely. Uh, our third battalion uh, is the 6th Ordnance Battalion. Uh, and it's not unique to have an Ordnance Battalion, uh, but it kind of is unique now. Historically, we've had them in the Army, but this is actually the last functional ordnance battalion in all of the Department of the Army of any component. There's none in the Reserves or the Guard. Uh, this It's a one-of-a-kind, unique uh, capability here in Korea uh, made up of three ammo companies that are spread up and down the peninsula uh, as far north as Casey, as far north as Casey and as far south as uh, here in uh, the Daegu Enclave. Uh, and they work out at the rock ammo depots, rock uh, ammo supply points with our rock counterparts uh, who conduct uh, ammo operations. Uh, and we've got an agreement at the national level that uh, allows us to have uh, store U.S. munitions in uh, rock ammo depots. Uh, so they assist us with that. It's a great partnership we've got with the, with the rock army uh, on that front. Uh, but we've got a very small and nimble 6th Ordnance Battalion made up of a small group of soldiers, but a lot of Korean nationals, a lot of uh, Department of the Army civilians that actually get out and uh, surveil that ammo to make sure it's uh, still uh, ready, that it's still serviceable, uh, and then they receive, store, and issue it as well. So uh, really, really quite the capability that a lot of people don't realize uh, when they draw ammunition to go out and do a training range or something, you, you're working with the 6th Ordnance Battalion. Uh, if you go and, uh, you know, set up something to look at uh, contingency-like ammo, you would work with the 6th Ordnance Battalion. Uh, and then I'm actually going to hand over to, for our 4th Battalion, the Korean Service Corps Battalion, I'm going to hand over to Sergeant Major Caleb because he is a recent alumni uh, or alumnus of the KSC Battalion, and he'll talk to you about them. Thank you, M6. So the Korean Service Corps Battalion, um, it resonates deeply in my heart for the seven months that I've been here, but I love the MSCK mission also. But the Korean Service Corps helped the U.S. forces and coalition forces win the Korean War. Um, With over 10,000 Korean Service Corps members, they were brought in to carry supplies throughout the pen of Korea in support of the Korean War. So they were hiking treacherous, treacherous mountains. Uh, they had a requirement of carrying no less than 50 pounds on their back with the chige. It's a old-style backpack, but it is a wooden frame. We have pictures of with mines and ammo boxes and the coin that we have within the KSC. It depicts a KSC soldier walking up a steep mountain in a snowsuit 
and his boots are made out of mud and straw. And the snow is about knee deep. And just by coincidence, a jet happened to be flying by as he was walking up that hill. So we looked at that uh, photo often about a Korean service member soldier uh, doing the rugged, hard stuff to sustain the battle. So right now, we turned in our chi gaze for heads. So now we're more automated with how we move supplies and support on pin. The KSC company is the largest um, battalion in Korea with over 2,185 Korean service corps members. And we have members with service from a year all the way up to 47. So we are blessed and fortunate in that regard because they are all subject matter experts in what they do. Very well educated. They have certifications. They have undergraduates and some have graduates degrees. And they are vital to the support on PIN based on what they bring to the fight, whether it's in armistice or whether it's in contingency. So in armistice, we have over 2,185 Korean Service Corps members. But in contingency, we plus up, can I say the number? An undisclosed amount. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, phenomenal. And I got more to expand on the Korean Service Corps. They, we call them the unsung heroes because they were moving, you know, supplies throughout the war. They suffered casualties also. And it's the fabric, the loyalty, and the respect that the Korean culture has for its country. And it's true with Kapshi Kapshida, if I said that correctly correctly we go together and we wouldn't be as successful in operations if the KSC was not there and we experienced that a little bit during the fur furlough and uh, but when our KSCs came back to work only one did not return back to work because they believe in their mission to help win in contingency. Wow. That's really, and so with, with that said, with all the different um, roles you play up again, uh, what was that, Sergeant Major? Yeah, I forgot. One of the most important sales marketing tip out there. So in our army, we have 155 ways to soldier, but in the Korean Service Corps, there are 260 plus ways to be a Korean Service Corps member. We have, you know, divers that uh, work with the aviation in the pool in the event of water landing, so on and so forth. We have accounting. We have finance. We have IT. And our great PAO is sitting in here also. So we they do maintenance, mechanics. We It's amazing. So they are... Their hands are in everything. You probably don't realize that, I mean, like almost everybody on, on the peninsula, you know, whether you've been here a day or six years or ten years, you've, you have definitely interacted with a Korean Service Corps member. We, they literally are from the uh, Joint Security Area all the way uh, down to Busan Storage Center or down to the pier, actually. Uh, and, and they are integrated in every facet of every organization on this pen there even to places like the commissary or the px or uh you know the tongil bridge or uh a range that you might go to is likely operated by a korean service corps member there it's quite a phenomenal capability and, and, and that's not even by the way 
that that's only the four battalions. We we also have this thing we call the Combat Power Generation Center, which is really what MSCK was created for in the first place. Uh, it is uh, we have the ability to perform below depot level uh, maintenance and supply transportation operations, really to be the 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 legs upon which the rest of the the peninsula's sustainment stands. So. Uh, we have a program, theater sustainment repair program, uh, where we take a vehicle down. You you could take a Humvee down to the point that you wouldn't even recognize it. It's just the frame. Uh, and we have uh, a very dedicated professional group of Korean nationals that have been, you know, very similar to the KSC, uh, anywhere from a year to 40 years, uh, performing maintenance uh, in highly, highly certified, highly uh, – technically skilled and, and uh, able that take this vehicle down to its its core and then uh, we, we use a program called inspect and repair only or inspect and replace only as needed so they'll check a part make sure that it's uh, serviceable and then they put it back on the vehicle if it isn't but if not they'll uh, replace the replace the part the other beauty is that that we have there is so let's say an engine's bad for a, a piece of equipment like a humvee uh, we have an engine shop, a uh, pretty robust engine shop that can put that on a dynamometer, uh, run it, see if it uh, what it needs to fix that engine. So instead of replacing the entire engine at a greater cost, at a, at a much lower cost, we're actually fixing that engine, putting it back into the to the Humvee. And then uh, we have a cart paint booth. Uh, so when we get done, and a media blast uh, booth. So when we get done with that vehicle, it looks like. It came right off the showroom floor, uh, you know, straight from the factory, straight from the uh, the factory line where they built it in the first place. Uh, and uh, it's re- it's really that program in particular has has built uh, hundreds of thousands of hours of of readiness for Eighth uh, Army over the last ten or twelve years. Uh, and then we also, I mean, I, and I use that as the example and really our showpiece for the MSEK industrial base. Uh, but we also, you know, have the ability to ship things anywhere in the world. We have a, a care and preservation section, a, a box uh, fabrication uh, branch that can make things that you, you could only dream about. I mean, it's just it's a phenomenal capability that I could literally sit here the rest of the day and talk about uh, because it's, it, it, it's an immense capability that doesn't bring readiness just to the Korean Peninsula, we perform maintenance and uh, supply transactions and transportation actions uh, for uh, the entire Western Pacific and and even as far as Hawaii has stuff that's shipped to us for uh, anti-corrosion work that we've done. Uh, Tremendous capability and the the core of that uh, is those Korean nationals that I mentioned uh, and the, uh, you know, about 80, 90 Department of the Army civilians uh, that run that operation really uh, make it what it is, uh, and make it. Uh, you know, I can I can stand here and say that I know that the quality we put out is is better than anybody else because we've got folks that have worked there for 30, 40 years that just you know can look at a piece of equipment uh, and fix it. You know, with almost not having to think about it. And so with all that said, with all those capabilities and when talking about the partnerships with the, the Korean Nationals, the KSC, how do you think that affects the soldier experience? Like knowing that you how you know intertwined, you know, your daily work is to the rest of the peninsula and with uh, you know host nation partners. Well, here's what I'll say that uh, you know, so I said I had about six years in, in uh, Korea. I had about seven years in Germany. I've been to Iraq, Afghanistan, been to like 50 different countries in my life. Very blessed that that opportunity. Uh, I can tell you that there is no partner, no nation in the world quite like Korea. Uh, and I don't say that as lip service because I know there's people going to listen to this and say, wow, you know, everybody knows uh, I love Korea. I mean, it's not a secret. Uh, but, but let me tell you why. Uh, it, it's because of the commitment of not just the Korean nationals and Korean service corps members who work for us or the rock army, uh, personnel that we get to interact with, uh, with combined operations that we perform all the time, uh, combined training, combined, uh, uh, just 
you know, or just the opportunity to interact with our, our Korean partners is, is just phenomenal. Uh, but it's, it's the people in general. There's a commitment here uh, by the Koreans to the cause of freedom, to the cause of democracy uh, that I've not seen uh, everywhere I've been in the world. And it's uh, quite tremendous. It permeates their entire society. Uh, and I see that in the dedication of the Korean nationals that work for us, the Korean service corps members that work for us. Uh, and, and the effect on our soldiers is quite tremendous. I mean, I, I, I didn't, you know, in seven years in Germany, I don't think I interacted with, in all those years, I interacted with the German army or the German people uh, in more in one day with the Koreans than I think in my whole time in seven years in Germany. And it and it's not anything against Germans or Germany. I loved I loved being there too, and I loved working alongside them and living alongside them. It's just uh, there's something unique about uh, Korea and the Korean people, and I think particularly with the uh, Rock U.S. Alliance because uh, you know not to sound cliche, but it was forged in blood. You know, there's a there is a bond between uh, Americans and Koreans uh, that doesn't exist everywhere else in the world. And uh, it, it, it's tremendously helpful uh, and tremendously powerful in an organization like MSCK uh, where you really see that all coming together, where Koreans and Americans are working alongside one another uh, to make, uh, we call ourselves the home of the winning team. Uh, I can, you know, stomp my foot and say we are the home of the winning team, and it's because of that relationship between Koreans and Americans uh, that make it so strong. So true, sir. And to talk about the soldier experience while being stationed in Korea, being an MSCK, soldiers have a exceptional experience by working with the Korean Nationals and or Korean Service Corps member. Uh, having the opportunity to serve with the Korean Service Corps, I had the most unique experience because they're Korean nationals, local nationals, and they reside throughout the pen. They, we have 18 companies within the KSC. And truth be told, as we're working and surviving through this pandemic, we nearly made it out of 2020 without having one COVID positive test. And that speaks to the testament, the dedication, and the discipline of the Korean national people as a whole because they believe in the mission they believe that we are a team and we go together. So I'm really happy about that. And I encourage the soldiers and even, you know, the, the dependents here to interact with the Korean nationals and or the Korean service corps members because they have a lot to share and they are extremely grateful for how the U.S. assisted and helped them. And we could not have been as successful again without their support and dedication. And you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the COVID prevention, Sir Major. Um, sir, let's go back to what you're saying about the JPPC. So that are they're kind of part of that uh, prevention fight as well. Like, yeah, I like to say that they're... Uh that MSCK gets the opportunity to be on the front lines of, of this war. You know, if, we, if we've operationalized our uh, COVID prevention uh, and call it, you know, it's, it, we're in a battle against COVID, uh, our soldiers, uh, and not just from the 25th MCB, I was, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, the great soldiers from uh, 498 CSSB, uh, the 19th HR company, uh, and we've even got some uh, Air Force soldiers up there, Air Force airmen up there at uh, the airport. And then a handful of our awesome KSEs that uh, get the opportunity to help us uh, bridge the gap at the airport with, uh, with language barriers that we have. So so bottom line is, is, and many of you that might be listening, came in 
uh, over the summer, let's say last year, and you came in either through Osan or you came in through Incheon. And when you did that, you were met by uh, service members. In fact, I, I'd say the first army, if you came in through Osan, the first army person that you met was a soldier likely from the 138 uh, movement control team. And they gave you a briefing and they walked you through everything before, even before you went through customs and immigration because of the way Osan set up. Uh, at Incheon, we had a, a bit of a different problem because at Osan, everything's really controlled by the military. You come in through the uh, Air Mobility Command uh, terminal and everything's very controlled. You get on a bus, you go to Humphreys, you get tested, you go into quarantine. At Incheon, uh, we worked closely with the ROC government, uh, USFK really did, and, and we gained permission to uh, move people swiftly from Incheon after they've gone through uh, customs and immigration and the pre-screening to make sure they're not symptomatic, and then move them swiftly to Camp Humphreys. And so that was an agreement at the you know very high levels of government, intergovernment agreement, and our soldiers, uh, that conglomerate of soldiers up at the Incheon, are, are making that happen every day because, uh, you know, I think when it first started, uh, particularly in the summer, we were, people were waiting a long time. It took, took forever. Uh, we put a lot of efficiencies. We've act, we actually leveraged our uh, director for quality management in MSDK in the industrial side. They went up and did a Lean Six Sigma study on it and streamlined the whole process uh, we started using some, uh, some tools up there uh, to quickly in-process folks, uh, and then we manifest them, and, the, and our standard is in less than one hour from receipt uh, at the, the Joint Personnel Processing Center desk, those uh, soldiers, civilians, family members, contractors, anybody who comes into Incheon who is DOD-affiliated, uh, is on a bus heading to Camp Humphreys or Osan because we're not we're not transporting the uh, Air Force personnel as well, and it, it it's tremendous to watch them work. It's tremendous because they are really able to help safeguard the U.S. process for uh, COVID prevention that gets you know makes the Korean government confident that we're bringing people in and they get to uh, Camp Humphreys safely. They get COVID tested and they get put in quarantine that helps kind of, not kind of, it actually helps really protect our bubble uh, and keep the force safe. And to add on to that there, so as everyone should know, as of 8 January, you have to have a PCR test to come into country, into Korea. So our Incheon group, MCT, and some 498 soldiers and KSCs, they have been instrumental in the implementation, in implementation of that because we had a few um, things we had to work through with the ROC government to allow soldiers to come in. Um, and utilizing the KSC personnel, they were able to bridge that gap and translate and communicate on behalf of 8th Army and USFK in order to avoid sending soldiers back to the U.S. So that was a huge win for us. And another unique thing about this brigade is that they run 24 hours. Incheon is a 24-hour operation. The um, Patriot Express, same thing. So and then ordinance, and then 498. Everybody is all hands, elbows, working together, making things happen that, you know, people may not be aware of. And, yeah, vital, critical missions, you know, that, that, that don't stop. And so you don't get to mission success with those high-level missions without, I mean, it all comes back to people, right? And so the uh, some, something we've been talking about in the Army, uh, Army Chief of Staff, General McConville, his campaign is People First, and that's kind of what we're going to close with, uh, gentlemen. So what, what, is, what does People First mean to you guys? How do you bring that to your organization? So it's interesting because, you know, we, we've long said in the Army, and, you know, I, th I think Sergeant Major and I were talking about yesterday, we've got, you know, 50-plus years of experience between the two of us. 
the Army's always said that people are important. Uh, and I, we had a great conversation out uh, with our 339th Quartermaster Company soldiers yesterday on a, on a very cold day at uh, Camp Humphreys as they were uh, reeling out a, a, a hose line for fuel operations. And we talked about this. We talked about that the, the Army has often said that people are important. Uh, we've just put a, a higher premium on it now, uh, and rightly so, because, you know, when you think about other services, when you think about the Air Force, what's their fighting platform? It, it's planes, attack aircraft, fighter aircraft. Think about the Navy, their fighting platform is a ship, you know, and there are great people on those ships. There's great people in those planes, but the fighting platform, the basis fighting platform for the United States Army is and has always been the U.S. Army soldier. And it's important that we put uh, our full commitment into taking care of those soldiers uh, as our first and number one priority because we, we've kind of figured out uh, through time that, and we may have gotten a little out of balance with, you know, with the uh, contingency operations uh, in the Middle East over the last decade or so, but uh, because readiness became very important, and it still is. And I think that's what people need to understand is that readiness is still important, but we've realized that if we take care of our people first, readiness will follow, that we can't get to readiness if we haven't taken care of our people first. If, you know, if I don't know what's going on in Sergeant Major Caleb's life, and he doesn't know what's going on in mine, uh, and, and we really don't know each other and don't understand one another, uh, and where we're coming from, what our, our thoughts are. If we don't understand that, then we don't ever get to the heart of the person and get to the, the core of what makes them tick and makes them operate and be the person that they are. So I, I think, you know, in, in MSCK, that's, uh, it, it was an easy transition back to people because I don't think we've ever left that. Uh, because we're an organization made up of so many unique people with with our, you know, demographics of KN, KSC, Department of the Army, civilian and soldiers and Katusas and all of their families, uh, it is it was always important to understand, well, what's the common what's the common thing we have? Uh, our our saying for years in uh, MSCK is two nations, one team. Uh, and that teams are made up of people, right? So you, it's a no-brainer that people are, are, are have always been our most important piece. Uh, and we also say we're the, the home of the winning team. Uh, in fact, I we, we kind of dug, we were, as we were cleaning out some closets uh, in the headquarters here last year, the year before last, uh, we actually found yearbooks going back to the mid-80s. And we know that MSDK has been around since the 60s, but uh, it is... Uh, it's been the home of the winning team since at least the mid-80s. And so that's not a new moniker uh, that we, we came up with, a new slogan we came up with. That's been around for, you know, a long, long time. Honestly, probably before many of our soldiers were even born. Um, and so we had this idea, though, in our uh, formation of win, you know, being keeping things very simple. Uh, and, and the win is, what win means is, that our organization, that our team is, that we are warriors first. I think people misconstrue that to think that means it only applies to soldiers. It doesn't. It, it means anybody who's on the MSCK, MSCK team is a warrior first because you're, you're, you either live, are from, or are assigned to Korea. And we, you know, Korea's been on a de facto war footing. There's an armistice in place for 70, you know, nearly 70 years. And so we have to be continually ready to fight tonight. I think warriors first, though, are ones that take care of each other because you can't be a warrior first if you don't take care of each other first. The Look, I and win. Moving to India, we're talking about integrity always. And that is what builds the bond and the cohesiveness of effective teamship coming together being able to communicate freely being able to streamline and improve processes and being able to look to the left right front or behind you at your battle buddy or korean national knowing that they are willing 
and they are going to go forth with you to accomplish the mission. And then the then finally the end in win is this idea of never giving up, uh, continuous improvement. You know, so if you look at the the Combat Power Generation Center, the nucleus of what MSCK was, you know, was before up till two thousand eight. Uh, before the battalions uh, became uh, organic to the organization, uh, continuous improvement had been around for years. Whether it was Lean Six Sigma, you know, whatever uh, topic of the day, improvement uh, idea of the day, uh, we've always been about Im- continuous improvement. Uh, but one, because continuous improvement starts with C and not an N, so I needed an N, right? So never give up makes sense, though, because. Uh, it's more than just continuous improvement and getting better every day. It's never throwing our hands up and saying, we can't do this. There's, there is always a way, whether we're resource constrained, whether we're in a COVID environment, you know, whether you're running a quarantine facility, you're on team clean, team transport, all these things that we've been doing over the last year, uh, how, how we've been so successful at those and how we've been so successful as an organization is, we always are getting better every day. People, you know, people are empowered across the brigade, uh, whether you're the brigade commander or you're a private or you're a wage grade worker or you're a DA civilian, a Katusa, it doesn't matter. You have the power to make change in the organization and to make it better every single day. Uh, it may take some time. It may take some effort. But uh, the idea here is that we never give up. No, now, why am I telling, why are we talking about process improvement and continuous improvement? Because I think that applies to people. I think it applies to how we interact with one another. I think it is fundamental that in order to uh, get better, and, I, and I'll, I'll pull the uh, uh, diversity string for a minute and, and go or thread for a minute and, and talk that, because that's how we get better at this. We realize that we're at a point in time where things are what they are, and if we want to move forward, then we have to look for ways to move forward. And part of that is we have dialogue with one another. And, and, and so that's the core of, of never giving up. It's really looking every single day, being able to look in the mirror and say, did I do something to improve uh, the fighting position I'm sitting in, That you know, my area of operation, did I get better every single day? Uh, and not just in my job, but with those that work for me, those I work for, did I make things better around me? Uh, and that's, I, I think it really is uh, fundamental to uh, who we are as humans and how we are uh, as people going to interact with one another going forward uh, from a people perspective. And that's how we put people first in the end. And speaking to um, people first, I'm talking service members, period. We are here anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. But our KNs and Korean Service Corps members, they are our continuity. We leave within that 12 months or 24 months, and someone new is coming in. So at times there doesn't need to be recreation of the will. That's why I empower and encourage the soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen to communicate with the Korean Nationals or KSC members because I'm sure their time and experience on pin, they've probably seen a challenge or situation and they probably... I'm sure they overcome it. So we don't have to rack our brains as military service members in order to accomplish something. That's why I like to bring them into the conversation because I personally believe that uh, every one of us is a subject matter expert in something. Um, very well said, Sir Major. And uh, Sir, back to you. So, uh, something we, we we spoke about in the first episode with uh, General Allen, Sir Major Green, is the the Fort Hood report 
that that focused a lot on you know improving culture, improving you know putting people first, like you said. So how how does how is Sharp involved in that? It, it, it's and thank you for asking that because you know as the Fort Hood report came out, uh, it, it would have been very easy for all of us here in Korea to read it and say, "Oh, that's Fort Hood. That doesn't apply to me." Um, what what we did across the brigade was I asked everybody to read it and, and really apply it to their own organization and say, could this apply? There, there's probably some areas we're doing well in, but there are areas that, you know, you could look at yourself in the mirror and say, ooh, we, need, we probably need to work there. Uh, we, did a, we did a couple of uh, sessions with uh, that I got the opportunity to chair with the company command teams, the battalion command teams, and we talked. We just had a conversation about, uh, how do we make things better in our barracks? How do we establish a, a climate right now that doesn't allow sexual assault and sexual harassment to occur? How do we establish an environment where we do not accept indiscipline in the barracks, uh, where we do not accept under, uh, underage drinking? Th- those are actually relatively uh, easier things to solve than fundamentally changing our culture. But that's what they have to start there. Uh, since then, we've had, we've had a few more dialogues, and actually the, the commanders all came back to me, and you know they've had continuous dialogue with their formations. Uh, and, we, and yes, we focused on the barracks, but uh, it's one small piece of how we stop uh, this scourge of sexual harassment and assault from occurring. I, I really love this, uh, and, and a lot of people in the ESC have seen it, and General Allen likely talked about it, the uh, continuum of harm chart. Uh, and, and I've actually expanded that to say, and if, if you can visualize, because I know we're, we're uh, voice only here, if you could visualize to the left is this area of green we want to be in. There's a red line, and then everything to the right is red. I like that because uh, there's another version of that that has an amber area. Well, there is no amber area when it comes to sexual harassment, sexual assault. It's all bad. There's, there's varying degrees of bad, uh, but they're all bad. Uh, and... And really, as I expanded that uh, in a recent conversation with some, with uh, some teammates, is I said, you know, you could actually expand this beyond just sharp. You could say, over to the left is an environment where people are treated with dig- dignity and respect, where everybody can reach their maximum potential. That's almost precisely what it says. But there's, I, I really refer to everything to the right as all the bad things, all the indiscipline, acts of indiscipline, all the crime, all the discrimination, all the bullying, harassment, you name it, all the bad things, all those bad things uh, prevent us from operating in that environment. So what the, the work we're really doing in MSCK now, and I've charged the, the company-level command teams with, is what's the legs underneath that statement about you know, the, the, the legs that make every soldier count, right? So it, it, you, it's a nice saying, and I can tell every soldier that I want you to be treated with dignity and respect where you can achieve your maximum potential. But unless we put legs under that, uh, you know, really a, a, for the stool to stand on, unless there are legs, then it's, it's not going to go anywhere. That's really the core of our, uh, our prevention program for SHARP. Uh, you've seen the Army kind of shift towards that with SHARP, uh, that we really want to focus on prevention. Uh, because there are systems in place for a lot of those all the bad things, most of those all the bad things. Uh, there are systems in place when people do bad things. There are programs to hold people accountable when they do bad things. Uh, there's a great system for SHARP for uh, ensuring that our soldiers who uh, unfortunately have had something bad happen to them uh, are taken care of. Uh, and, you know, so we still have an education requirement. We still have an education responsibility to make sure our soldiers understand and our civilians understand uh, what, a th- what rights they have, what protections they have. Uh, if, God forbid, they become a survivor of, of sexual harassment and sexual assault. But I really want to spend some time, uh, you know, really in the, particularly for me in the last five months of, of command, uh, focusing on uh, how do we change the culture so that we don't have subjects or victims anymore, subjects or survivors anymore, that every person understands that that person to my left and right is a human with intrinsic value 
and I wouldn't dare do anything to hurt him or her. Uh, if we can get to that, then we're off to the races. And then, and, you know, all the change, all the improvement, all that, that we want, it'll just come naturally because we've taken care of our people. Absolutely agree. And I want to thank both of you for coming down to talk with us here on the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. If you want to stay up to date on all the um, operations and uh, missions that uh, MSCK is involved with, go to the U.S. Army uh, Material Support Command Korea Facebook page and follow 19th ESC on Facebook as well. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Gentlemen, thanks again. And to all our listeners, we'll see you next time here on the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So that was a great conversation we just had with the MSCK leadership. But don't forget to subscribe to the Every Soldier Counts podcast wherever you get your podcasts because we have great content on the way starting next episode with the equal opportunity leader here at 19th ESC. That's Master Sergeant White. Where we'll talk about the leadership challenges related to equal opportunity and also with uh, talking about Black History Month. So stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe to the Every Soldier Counts podcast. <laughs>